Today's gospel finds Jesus in dispute, in dispute with the uh, Pharisees, not for the first time. Uh, it's a fairly common occurrence, as you know, in the gospels. So uh, this morning, I, I want to say a word on behalf of the much maligned Pharisees, uh, and then a word about um, the, uh, the, the heritage over which they are in disputation. And finally, what does that have to do with all of us? So, uh, first of all, the Pharisees, they get a bad reputation in the, uh, in the Gospels. The, the Pharisees, as I'm sure you know, were a, a sect of Judaism. A, uh, uh, you could think of them as a denomination that doesn't quite capture it. They were a, 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 a way of thinking about us, a, a, a group of students who thought one way about the Torah, about the law, uh, in contrast with the way other people thought about them. The distinction between the Pharisees and the Sadducees is this, that the Sadducees, uh, also very devout, very pious men, uh, uh, thought that the way one should order one's life had everything to do with what was contained in the, in the literal words of the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, the Torah. The Pharisees, on the other hand, in many ways were more like us. The Pharisees thought that those words, those commands, needed interpretation. They needed to be uh, understood in the context of the times and, get, and, and dealt with reasonably, not literally. Might sound familiar. The, um, Pharisee, uh, the Pharisees were, in fact, the uh, uh, forebearers of modern uh, uh, rabbinic Judaism. The Sadducees died out because they were all about the temple hierarchy and the Pharisees who were all about the ordinary folks bringing the, making the gospel, making the Torah accessible to ordinary people survived even after the Romans uh, invaded. So it's with, a, in fact, in my bookcase at home, there's a book by a Jewish scholar called Jesus the Pharisee. And it's conceivable that Jesus was part of a small subset of Phariseeism. So what were they arguing, arguing about uh, 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 in this, uh, in this uh, uh, gospel lesson of ours? It seems uh, pretty superficial in a way. It's an argument I've had in my um, household um, uh, when my children were younger. So um, did you wash your hands for dinner? You can't come to the table until you've washed your hands. But it's about far more than uh, it's about far more than than uh, than uh, uh, cleanliness. So one way of understanding the tradition that's under discussion here is to say that there's habit, and there's tradition, and there's principle, and there's some times overlap between them, but they're all different. Habit, habit is easy to understand. Habit is something we do repetitively over time. Some habits are bad, most habits are pretty benign. Uh, it's my habit that, nobody, that my, nobody can leave the house in the morning until the bed is made. I guess my mother's responsible for that. But it sort of provides a little orderliness to the beginning of the day. When I'm in a, um, 
when I'm not serving a church in Washington or somewhere else, I worship in a church in Annapolis. And interestingly, I always sit in the same place. None of, I don't think anybody else does, but that is <laughs> just a habit. And it doesn't really mean anything in particular. Um, it sort of means I don't have to make a decision about where I'm gonna sit when I walk through the door. So it just kind of organizes the day. Now it's possible for a habit to, to become less benign. So if I were to say, my family has sat in this pew for generations, right? then it becomes a tradition. And in that case, perhaps not a very healthy, uh, not a very healthy tradition. So habits are pretty benign for the most part and they just really help us organize ourselves. Traditions, on the other hand, are passed down from generation to generation they're much more important than simple habits. Uh, traditions give us a cultural context to our lives. Tell us sort of what, who do we belong to? What, what, what are we part of that's bigger than we are? What's going on around us? It's a tradition in my house to have sauerkraut with turkey every Thanksgiving. It tastes great, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's so funny. <laughs> my children, my, my son-in-law and daughter-in-law don't understand it particularly, but we, we get it. It's a tradition uh, at uh, St. Paul's K Street has an Anglo-Catholic tradition. If you go, if you want an Anglo-Catholic worship service, you know that you can go there and it will be familiar, part of what you're used to. It's a tradition to stand for the national anthem. It's a tradition to stand for the gospel. These are traditions and they're important. And why are they important? Because they tell us when we go to St. Paul's K Street or when we stand for the gospel or the national anthem, we're acknowledging there's something important about that worship service or that song or that scripture. There's something important. It's not the scripture that's important as such, it's what's behind the scripture. It's the principle that underlies it. Anglo-Catholic worship isn't in and of itself important, but to some people what underlies it is important. The approach, the, the, the holiness of it is important to some. The national anthem in and of itself isn't important. What's important is what underlies the national anthem. The, the, the democracy we all, we all cherish, the Constitution, even the First Amendment of the Constitution. They matter more, that's the principle that matters. And the gospel would be nothing if it were not for the witness, for the witness of Jesus, for the Sermon on the Mount, the, the parables, the death and resurrection of Jesus. If it were simply a narrative about an itinerant preacher from the, the lower Galilee, we wouldn't stand for that. In fact, we probably wouldn't be reading it. Traditions are important, but they're not the most important thing. The most important thing is the principle that underlies the tradition. In this particular dispute between the Pharisees and Jesus, it's really not about cleanliness. The Pharisees, um, the Pharisees, documented all of their interpretations 
in the Mishnah. The Mishnah became the first part of the Talmud. It's a collection of ideas, thoughts about uh, the, the interpretation of scripture. And the particular scripture that they were interpreting was, comes from Exodus, you can look it up, Exodus 30, 31, says that when the priest goes, into, goes to make a sacrifice, the priest must wash his hands. It says nothing about any, anyone else. But, but the Pharisees, because they were thoughtful people, said, wait a minute, if somehow washing your hands makes the priest a little holier, why doesn't that apply to all of us? Why shouldn't we all be a little holier? Why can't we make the ordinary holy? And if the washing of hands is prescribed for clergy, why isn't it prescribed for everyone? Now, Jesus didn't necessarily have a problem with that. His problem was with hypocrisy if you said that's more important than the question of holiness. Sadly, as often happens, today's uh, gospel lesson is redacted. There's a piece left out. I never understand why they do that. But there's a piece left out that actually explains it much better than I could. In the, in the piece that's edited out, Jesus says, you hypocrites, you, it says you should honor your father and your mother, but you don't do that. You take your money and you give it to the temple, which is a tradition, and you do that because it makes you look good to your peers, and your father and your mother go wanting. So you've forgotten the principle in favor of the tradition. It's much clearer than the hand-washing thing, I think. I wish they had left it in. We'll have to write somebody about that. So what does all this mean for us? The church is struggling, like almost every other institution, to cope with rapid change. Um, you all know this. We've talked about it some here. Globalization, technology, all of these things, postmodern skepticism, all of these things have put pressure on the church and other institutions. That uh, puts, puts us all in unfamiliar territory. When we're in unfamiliar territory, we tend to grab onto the traditions because they tell us something about who we are. They make us feel more comfortable. And so we place great great stake. And, and it's all good. There's nothing in and of itself wrong with that. The church has a great history. This church has a great history. The, the um, liturgy is just magnificent. The soaring music. All of this is good. It's just not what underlies everything. It's not the, the gospel truth. The gospel principles of love and compassion and concern, radical empathy. Empathy for others not like us, not like you, not like me. People, love of people who are our neighbors, but who, with whom we're not always comfortable. Those are the gospel imperatives. It's not the music, it's not the buildings, it's not the great cathedrals. Those are the imperatives. And, and when times are changing the way they are, we sometimes lose track of that. 
and hang on to the traditions. We somehow have to overcome that in order to not lose sight of what really, what really matters. So maybe we should think of some new things. How about this? How about if every Sunday we meet in another part of Washington? Well, let's break up into small groups. And one group will meet in Anacostia, and another group will meet in uh, Adams Morgan, and somebody else will meet uh, somewhere else. And, and we'll dedicate ourselves to serving that particular community that needs our help. And then once a month, we'll come back here and, and say what we've done, you know, report, it, report in for all the good we've done in those, in those neighborhoods. Or how about this? Instead of uh, having a Sunday lunch in which we take care of ourselves, let's after church, when we start those Sunday lunches, let's after church, everybody combs the neighborhood for people who are hungry and bring them back and serve them lunch. That would be true to the gospel. Or here's a good one. Rather than have the altar up here on high, expressing the hierarchical nature of the church, let's take out the pews and put the altar down among the people where it would more accurately express our current theology, the priesthood of all believers. And we could gather around the table as a, as a, as a community rather than have people who wear these fancy clothes up here doing what we do. Don't tell the bishop I said that. I don't know, um, I don't know if uh, those changes are appropriate or not appropriate. I do know that each one of those is being done in other churches in Washington and, and elsewhere um, as a way of trying to express the fundamentals of the gospel, the core values, the basic principles of the gospel. And it's a way of saying, well, the traditions are important, but this is more important. Feeding the hungry is more important. Caring for the poor is more important. So I guess these are kind of tongue-in-cheek suggestions for me. But you're going to have a new rector before too long. And maybe she will have the creative, she or he, maybe she will have the creative energy to try some, some of these things that make us feel a little uncomfortable. Stretch us so that we don't forget what the real point is. As the letter of James put, puts it, we need to be doers of the word, not merely hearers. Or, as Jesus said, it's not what goes into a person that defiles. It's what comes out. Or it's not we put into worship. What really counts is what we get out of it. Amen.